Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God knows all about your troubles. God knows why you are crying and how long you've been crying. God knows what you are struggling with and where you are stuck. God knows why you continue to struggle with things God has already taken away from you. God also knows why you keep going back and picking them up. God knows what you tell yourself and why you believe this is the best point of view. God knows where you are, where you are going, and why you believe that you should be further along the path. God knows all the questions you have and why you still have no answers. God knows our challenges and God knows your potential. God knows all of the ins and outs of why you feel in or out of touch with God. God knows you. It's important for you to know that when it feels most like there is no one, it simply isn't true. There's always someone who is as concerned about your concerns as you are. God also knows that what you believe and put your faith in can make a world of difference in what you know and don't know. Therefore, to help you know this God who cares, we enter together into the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford will help direct our faith in the right direction. So thank you, Archbishop, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where you can reintroduce us to the God who cares, who really cares about our concerns. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Before we get into talking about the celebration of the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity today, let me ask you about last Sunday's special events on Pentecost. Did you do anything special? Well, of course, Pentecost is one of the great, greatest feasts of the Church, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the Apostles that made it possible for all of us to be here 2,000 years later because those frightened apostles threw open the doors that they were locked up behind out of fear and preached Christ from the housetops, and now we're supposed to do the same and hand on the faith to a new generation. And uh, I was particularly uh, happy last Sunday uh, on Pentecost to celebrate two Masses in New Haven that uh, involved young people, uh, but in very different ways. Uh, The first was the um, Mass I had at St. Joseph Church there, for a group called Crossroads for Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and also for Sadi, and and then in conjunction with St. Mary Parish. But those two f- former groups that I just mentioned, they're groups of young adults, not kids, but young adults, are really committed to their faith. And it was very beautiful. We actually celebrated the vigil ceremony of Pentecost before the Mass with extended readings like the Easter vigil. Um, we had a little bit of an adventure because our seminarians were serving, and Unknown to us, there was a smoke alarm in the vestibule uh, mm. o- uh, over the incense that he was holding. So <laughs> it all we had the smoke of the holy, the fire of the Holy Spirit in more ways than one. <laughs> so naturally, the fire department came and turned the alarm off. And but they were very good natured about it. You know, we hated to do that. We had no idea what was going to happen. But uh, and of course, there was no fire. It was uh, just a just false the alarm. Incense, huh? But it was so good to see so many uh, young adults who are so interested in their faith. Mass was preceded by uh, confessions, Bishop Betancourt and 
Father Anthony Federico, they were hearing confessions. And uh, to see a lot of young people in church is a wonderful thing. And then the next day, uh, I celebrated uh, Mass at St. Francis Church in New Haven. And um, uh, Father Hector Rangel is the pastor there. He he came to this archdiocese uh, from uh, uh, Colombia uh, when I first was assigned here 10 years ago. We both arrived in Hartford about the same time, and he had to learn English and everything. But now he's assisted by a couple other priests, but he is really doing a splendid job. And here this big church, St. Francis, uh, was filled to capacity, and the whole Mass was in Spanish, that particular uh, uh, 10 o'clock Mass, or was it 11? I forget was just filled with uh, our Hispanic, Latino, Catholic family, so many young kids, uh, such wonderful servers, a great choir, a team of young uh, men to do the collection, everything done beautifully. It gave me a lot of encouragement. You know, I don't often see uh, a a full, really full church anymore. And to see so many kids and this participation that was wonderful, and I had to um, practice up my Spanish. I think I did a decent job. But it was uh, so I was very encouraged by these two things on Pentecost. And that's not to take anything away from uh, all of our other parishes. Uh, but when you get a lot of young adults that are interested in the church, uh, and when you get that many families uh, with kids, and especially that's significant because our, our Hispanic Latino population is, is so big in the archdiocese. Uh, to have them participating and us being able to provide the church's ministry to them it makes a huge difference. I only wish, and of course we said in Spanish the prayer for priestly vocations at that Mass at St. Francis uh, and and also at uh, St. Joseph. But, you know, we need priests and we need, uh, it would be wonderful to have vocations from these Hispanic families. That would be a wonderful thing. So we work and pray for that. So anyway, I had a very happy experience there in New Haven. There's a lot going on there. I, I know there's been some uh, dissatisfaction with the fact that we've had to reconfigure and change so many things there to, to reflect the realities of today. But it, I think it is working. And and of course, you know, the the week before I went to the big, um, did we? T- I'm sure we talked about that, that uh, the big uh, luncheon that was held for uh, All Saints Catholic Academy, uh, which yeah. is there at St. Francis School. Uh, and how successful that was and how uh, people are stepping forward to support that. And I visited that school uh, some days before that and uh, the wonderful kids there and the, and the teachers. So I have a lot of good news. You know, sometimes today in our world and in the church in particular, there's a lot to be worried about, sometimes be discouraged even. But these were all very, very good things. Let me ask you this question. As Archbishop, do you encourage invitations coming your way to various parishes so that you can visit parishes and get to know the people in the, in the parishes of the archdiocese? Well, there are times when I can't. For example, during confirmation season, I'm having masses at the cathedral on Sunday yeah. and Saturday. For uh, well, Saturday, I have the the confirmation ceremony alone. But, but uh, any week and other times, I might have some other thing at the cathedral or even have to go to a bishop's meeting or something. But when I uh, am free, and that's most of the time, I go every weekend to a different parish to uh, to celebrate just a regular Sunday Mass. You know, it's not uh, not anything uh, extraordinary. Uh, so I've been doing that, and I try to keep tabs of those places that I haven't been for a long time and, uh, and go there. 
Today, you're going to have a special blessing at the Mother's Garden of the Cathedral. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, that's also something that's a very joyful uh, event. And, you know, we've been blessed with such beautiful weather lately. I, I'm glad that it continues and we can uh, enjoy this garden. But as part of the Hartford Bishops Foundation uh, efforts and the Forward with Faith campaign, we have done so much to uh, for the Malta House of Care building there. Uh, you know, it's supported uh, by the uh, Archbishop's annual appeal, but the building part to give them a permanent indoor clinic there was part of a big renovation that was made possible in part from the uh, uh, Hartford Bishops Foundation and also uh, the great expansion of the Cathedral Pantry, which does a tremendous amount of work in the city, uh, not just for food but clothing uh, and such. But anyway, uh, the garden has uh, some historical plaques uh, to the Sisters of St. Joseph, who first were on that property before there ever was a church, the Knights of Columbus, and also historical plaques describing the whole history of the church. And then there are plaques with the names of mothers uh, of, of donors who have contributed to the Hartford Bishops Foundation. Uh, and that uh, blessing takes place outdoors. There's an invitation to all those who, who have the names of, of um, mothers listed there. Uh, so that's also a very uh, beautiful and, and good thing. So there are a lot of good, positive things that we're uh, about in the Archdiocese. I just want to uh, share that good news. Well, today we have more good news because we're celebrating the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, a solemn celebration of the belief in the revelation of one God, yet three divine persons. For the Church, the Trinity is considered a mystery. Archbishop, let me ask you to do the impossible. Explain the Holy Trinity. Well, it's a mystery to be uh, lived in faith. It's not something to be explained, although theology obviously can. It's, let's put it this way. The mystery of the Holy Trinity is not irrational, but it is transrational. Uh, that is to say, it goes beyond what unaided human reason can comprehend, because God is beyond comprehension. You know, yeah. I think it was a famous saint or a famous saying in theology that if you completely understand it, it's not God. I think it might have been St. Augustine that uh, the mystery of God transcends uh, our comprehension, at least in this side of the grave. Uh, and so we know uh, that there is one God. This is the revelation that's made in the Bible. Uh, but we also believe in the divinity of Christ who proclaimed himself in that way and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have a belief in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, this is a stumbling block uh, to to Jewish people, uh, to is, uh, people who follow Islam, they uh, think that that uh, we actually are not uh, monotheists. That somehow Christians are uh, believe in, in in three gods, but it's not so. And it is this mystery of faith that we celebrate on a Trinity Sunday, and it's extremely um, it's at the heart of our faith. It's part of the creed that we say at Mass every Sunday. And again, it's a, a mystery to be uh, to be lived, uh, to be to to enter into mystically and spiritually. Uh, it's not just uh, some kind of problem to be figured out. Well, just to show you how old we're getting, how quickly we're getting old. Tuesday is a celebration of Drive-In Movie Day, and on Wednesday, June fourth, we rewind and celebrate the day the VCR was introduced. Now, both of those things were part of our lives and are really no longer in use. Did you enjoy going to the drive-ins when you were younger? 
I think I only went to one drive-in movie in my whole life. Really? My parents took me and my sister when we were little kids to see some movie uh, at a drive-in. I'd never have gone to a drive-in movie other than that. Hmm. Uh, so you're, you remember, I, I you remember a, what movie it was? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. It was some kid's movie. So either I'm behind the times or ahead of the times back then. I don't know. What about the VCR? Now, that was either a Betamax that was sold for $995 way back in 1975. Can't believe it. Uh, personally, I don't miss having to rewind or seeing the static lines that occasionally would run across the screen from a movie that had been worn by, from rewatching over and over again. You remember the VCR. That was just back in well, the Well, I do, but remember, I, I'm an unusual person having lived in Rome through those years, many of those years. Not, I never owned anything like that. I mean, I obviously was in the places where it was being used, but that wasn't big on my on my list of things. Well, when we were together in Rome in the lounge where we did have a VCR and television, whereby we would watch these movies when we were able to get them and with the VCR, I can remember you never knew how to run the VCR, correct? No, I don't believe I did. Well, don't you just stick the cassette in there and push the button or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm afraid you're asking me things beyond my pay grade. Well, let, let, let's go back and talk a little bit about what's going on on Saturday, June 10th, because it's, it's something that is very, very important, and that is it's Alcoholics Anonymous Founders Day. It was back in 1935. Bill Wilson connected with Dr. Bob Smith to form a national organization that promoted personal support with divine intervention for alcoholics. AA is a fellowship, although it does not affiliate with one particular religious denomination. It still emphasizes that God is your only source of power. Any advice that you might offer to someone who has a family member with an alcohol problem? Well, alcoholism is a great scourge, uh, not only to those who are afflicted with it, but to all their loved ones and even to society itself. But without wanting to be dour about it, it seems to me that today alcoholism has not gone away, but it's been, it's been now accompanied by horrific addictions uh, to drugs and all kinds of things that uh, are really... I mean, I think we're plunged into a, into a world that is very hard to crawl out of pe- for people who become addicted. Um, there are a lot of addictions. I think of the addictions people have to a pornography that the Internet mm-hmm. has created a huge wound for that. You know, drugs, needless to say, what a scourge that is on our, on our country. So without taking anything away from people who are fighting alcoholism, we have a lot of addictions in our world today, a lot of addictive behavior, a lot of things that are pe- making people mentally, emotionally, and spiritually ill and, yeah. and uh, losing their way. And, and it's very sad. And uh, now we live that, in a sinful world. And now that we've even made some drugs legal doesn't mean that they're good for you or that you can't become addicted to it because, as we've seen, although drinking liquor and uh, is is legal it can be addictive and it can be extremely bad for you and uh, uh, bad for your entire family and relationships well absolutely I mean we live in a culture where people really believe that if something's legal it must be moral and it must be good yeah. and uh, you know I, I always remind remember that story I read in in Colorado that women were giving birth to children that had marijuana in their systems at birth 
And they, they said to the doctor, well, what's the problem? It's legal, isn't it? What, is there something, you know, I mean, that's a kind of uh, moderation and, uh, and, and, and such is, uh, is a virtue. Uh, and you have to wonder about these substances, whether they, they are good for, for anything at all. Well, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but let's take a look at our gospel for today before we get to those questions. Our gospel reading on this Trinity Sunday, the 4th of June, is from John's third chapter. And uh, after this gospel is dramatically presented, then we'll ask you uh, about your evaluation of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, Archbishop, this is the famous gospel from the third chapter of John, which contains the famous, often quoted, 16th verse. How are we to understand the important message of this passage? Well, I think it really, in a nutshell, it it describes the mystery of uh, revelation and salvation, you know, that, that God so loved the world, God the Father, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who might believe in who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Uh, so Jesus was sent not to condemn but to save. But uh, whoever does not believe has already been condemned because they failed to accept the one whom the Father has sent. And of course, we know from elsewhere in the Gospel that Christ uh, w- was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that he he, he performed his uh, ministry in in the Holy Spirit. And he sent his the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, was sent uh, at Pentecost into the world. So it's a matter of whether we accept um, not just a, some kind of dogmatic or doctrinal formulation, but accept the reality and the message and the call that we have received through Christ in his church to repentance and faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. You know, reading that brings up the question, does he really love the world right now? When the United States has reported over 45 mass shootings just during the month of April, how can God so love this kind of world? Well, God loves the world because love requires freedom. You can't be forced to love. And so human beings have a choice to make. And when they are free, they can choose God and love, or they can choose something else. And so love has with it the potential for loving the wrong things, and that's called sin. And when that happens, God remains as loving as ever and forgiving as ever to those who turn away from sin and believe. But because we have this freedom, we can also doom ourselves to condemnation. God doesn't force us to love him. God doesn't force us to go to heaven. And so that's the state that we find ourselves in. How much patience do you think God really has with us? I mean, over 70% of us no longer go to church. We find other things to do on a Sunday morning. Does God's patience run out? And then what happens? 
Well, I don't know. You have to, that's something you'd have to look at the scriptures to realize there's a lot in there to meditate on about judgment and about chastisement and about, I mean, again, God is is love, but on the other hand, God is, and that's something we cannot understand, that mm-hmm. God is perfectly merciful and perfectly just at the same time. And uh, so you're asking me beyond my pay grade how how God can be both perfectly and completely at the same time. But in the end, I think we will be enlightened as to how that can be, but not in this world. Well, let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Andrew from Goshen says, As far as worship goes, why do I need to be in a building for an hour or so with a bunch of other people sitting on hard wooden benches, singing what someone else has decided will be my musical praise for the day? Why does it have to be Sunday morning? Why can't I pray and sing my heart out alone in the car or at home and call it my worship? Hmm. Well, Andrew, uh, (laughs) I guess um, what does the Scripture say? How can you uh, love the God that you uh, cannot see if you cannot love the neighbor that you do see? I mean, I hate to tell you, but... uh, Christ uh, came to uh, bring us a uh, uh, to create a a body of believers that are his very own body, the body of Christ uh, that is corporal and communitarian and communal. Um, I mean, I'm speechless because it's the whole whole New Testament. I mean, read the epistles of Paul, read everything that Christ said uh, about the fact that we we are not saved individually as some kind of unit, but we we only have life within us to the extent that we are a member of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is uh, the body of all believers in the world. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, what you're describing as a way of worship is just so utterly antithetical to Christianity and to the Bible because uh, it's the whole Bible from the beginning. Uh, you know, everything is, is corporate. That I, I, I don't know what to say. Well, you you were a lot more polite to Andrew than I would be, Archbishop, because usually I found that people say, well, why can't I just pray by myself? Why can't I just sing my heart out in the car or at home? I find that people just don't do it. They don't pray by themselves. And part of what it means to come together as a church community is to have the support and the encouragement of others who draw us together as a family of faith. Huh? Yeah, so that also creates a responsibility of those who do come together to be welcoming and to be mm-hmm. to be fraternal with other people, to uh, to be nice to one another, to be kind, to to uh, reach out to other people. So if there is something. Uh, to be said uh, 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 in a grouchy way about about church, it's that some of the times we who are in the church are not as uh, communal and friendly as we should be. Uh, but that that is what Christianity is all about. It's impossible to imagine anything other. I, I, you know, this uh, English uh, author, Carol Houselander, from the 1940s and 50s, She's written some beautiful books about the uh, of spiritual reflections. I was reading one uh, during Easter time, uh, and she she talks about this very, uh, I think, very compelling in a very compelling way about the uh, people being 
members of the body of Christ everywhere, that, that we are all, to the extent that we have faith, we believe, we participate in the sacraments, but, but really even beyond that in, in a certain mysterious way, that we're all somehow brought together in Christ. I think that, that's, a, that's an essential element of the Bible with regard to uh, Revelation and, about, and Christ and the Church. Taylor from Suffield says, My boyfriend was previously married through City Hall. He and his ex-wife have since gotten divorced. Would we be able to get married in a Catholic church? Well, if the previous marriage was validly uh, done, then, then it, there would have to be a g- grounds for an annulment, a church annulment, in order for uh, him to be uh, able to marry again. Now, that, that's complicated to go into here, but I would just say, Taylor, that you ought to talk to a, a parish priest about this. And Eric from Wallingford says, there are many conversations Catholics find themselves in with people who are not practicing Catholics. It could be that a friend who has been away from the church for years starts to reminisce about growing up Catholic. Or a co-worker tells you that she was baptized Catholic but no longer goes to Mass. Or a neighbor begins to ask questions about God after the death of his wife. In situations such as these, what responses should Catholics give? Well, Eric, I think you're being called to give a testimony to your faith, not just to, I mean, uh, what does a testimony to your faith means? mean? Well, it means what the faith means to you and how important it is and what you believe, and what you believe you can learn more about by reflecting on it in the readings, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in spiritual reading of some kind, by praying and asking the Lord to give you a good uh, answer to these kinds of things so you can help other people. But uh, you should always, as St. Peter says in one of his epistles, be able to give a reason to others for the for the faith and the hope that's within you. Uh, so uh, I guess if you're asking me this, I would say that uh, that probably means you, you're being in, encouraged by the situation to, 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 to know more about your faith, not just facts, not just... Uh, but a personal deepening of your faith to explain. You know, I mean, if somebody says that they don't ever go to Mass anymore, I would say, well, you know, the Mass means everything to me. I can't imagine not going because it gives me the, the words of Christ and his body and blood to give me the strength and the ability to live and to, uh, you know, face life's challenges and to do the right thing. I mean, there's a many, many ways everybody's different. The response, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's not a canned response. It's a response from your own experience of your Catholic faith. Joe from New Britain says, A new study says that prisoners who tap into their faith are less angry, more hopeful, and able to extend forgiveness more easily. It also found that prisoners who took part in a religious service, prayed, or read a sacred book, showed more self-control, thankfulness, and forgiveness than inmates who didn't. The study focused on Prison Fellowship International's Prison Prisoner's Journey program, which teaches inmates about Jesus at over 60% of the global prison population. I found this recent news very inspiring. Does the Archdiocese of Hartford have priests visiting prisons in our state to promote the faith? Well, Joe, yes. In answer to your final question there, we certainly do. We have priests who are prison chaplains. Uh, because we are so short of priests, some of the priests who do this, we're very blessed. They have come from other countries. 
uh, and that some of them are working in the prisons and hospitals as chaplains. So yes, we definitely do. Uh, I haven't been to a prison for a while, but I have, after COVID kind of put uh, you know things to on uh, on a, a break. You know, I've confirmed uh, prisoners uh, in the jail. I've had mass for them. And as far as uh, this new study about what the effects of faith are, well, we're all prisoners because the effects that they talk about here, whether you're in prison or not, uh, these uh, would have uh, all these good effects for people who tap into their faith. Let me also take this opportunity, Archbishop, to mention the fact that frequently I get letters from prisoners who watch the television mass and who gain a great deal of support and encouragement from participating in that television mass each day. In a way, we're getting beyond the walls of our prisoners to the hearts of prisoners to touch them with God's love. Wonderful. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Beloved Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, as we celebrate the mystery of your Godhead on this Feast of the Most Holy Trinity, we ask that we may come to an ever deeper participation in the divine life by which we can live as your true sons and daughters in this world and come to the fullness of life in eternity. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's always a pleasure to be with you on Sunday. And until we meet again next week, enjoy this week, and uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate and we'll have some pleasant experiences through the week. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you.